0: He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Thus says God the the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, the Spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them.
1: Okay, thank you, Darlene. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, which will be what we will be looking at today. Now, this is the first of four servant songs in Isaiah. Uh, You see it starts out, Behold, my servant. And we will just be looking at this one today. Um, The others are found, and not all commentators are agreed on the exact verses, but the others are found in Isaiah 49, 1 through 6, Isaiah 50, 4 through 11, and Isaiah 52, 13, 53.12 we'll be looking at those later now these first four verses um, this is in your notes gives us information about his servant he starts out saying behold my servant who I uphold and then he starts giving information about him in those first four verses and then in verse 5 states God's absolute sovereignty which they need to hear over and over again evidently because Isaiah chapter 40 may not have convinced them very well but God created the heavens He stretched them out He spreads out the earth and what is on it and He gives breath to people and so uh, Almighty and Sovereign God is what verse 5 states verse 6 tells us that His servant will be given as a covenant to us or to them And then finally verses seven through nine tells us of various things about the servant's mission of salvation. So it tells us he has a servant given as a covenant to them and his mission is salvation. All right. These first four verses, which gives us information about the uh, servant, are quoted in Matthew 12:18 through 21. And let's go down the road here. And Adam, Delaney, Delaney. oh yeah, okay, I'm sorry, Delaney. Um, part of it's my eyesight. This illness has affected my eyesight, but I still should know, I know. Okay, if you could read for us Matthew 12:18 through 21, when you get there. Uh, we, we will see that these verses are quoted in the New Testament. Okay, so we see here that these words are applied to Jesus in his ministry. That is God's servant. And Jesus is in the process, when this is quoted, of healing many people. And uh, he's doing a lot of things. It just does not sit well uh, with the Pharisees and the scribes. So Matthew ascribes, describes this to him. And shows that Jesus is indeed the servant of Yahweh. So, like the rest of the servant songs, this points to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. All right. Things to note in these verses about Jesus he is God's servant. That's the first little bullet there. He is God's servant and um, so I want to pause here for just a minute Um, what does this verse teach us about God it's something that's in the Old Testament but it still teaches a basic truth about God or at least it strongly (laughs) hints at it
0: he's a servant leader
1: (laughs) okay that's, that's not wrong, but that wasn't the answer I was looking for. Well, it does seem a little unusual to think about.
0: Jesus, who is one with God, is a servant to God. It sounds like God serves God.
1: All right, Jesus, you said, is one with God? Yes. Okay. Is there anything else in this verse that shows us anything else about the Godhead?
2: Spirit? You got all
1: three? Yeah. yeah. He says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold. That's the Father's talking about the Son. And then he says, I will put my Spirit upon him. Who knows what John 17 verse 3 says? That's the high priestly prayer. John if anybody wants to look it up. And this is eternal life, that they may
0: know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent.
1: Yes, Jesus is virtually equating the knowledge of God, or knowing God, excuse me, knowing God with eternal life. So, let's pause here and look at this, the doctrine of the Trinity. Here's the Son praying to the Father. And saying and making a statement for our benefit that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we we looked at the Trinity a little bit a few weeks ago, and I want to look at it again today because it's taught in this verse, I believe. It's taught the Trinity's taught in the Old Testament, and it is displayed in the New Testament. Um, so, and we'll be looking at the doctrine of God here for just a minute and I want to read what the Westminster Larger Catechism says about God, about the Trinity in uh, the Larger Catechism, verse 8 says, how many gods are there? Um, excuse me, are there more gods than one? there is but one only, the living and true God we have one God Okay. And the next question, how many persons are there in the Godhead? The answer is there be three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties. There's one essence, They're equal, but they have distinguished personal properties. Okay? Um, And then the next question what are the personal properties of the three persons of the Godhead? It is proper to the Father to beget the Son, and to the Son to be begotten of the Father, and to the Holy Ghost to proceed from the Father and the Son from all eternity. So we have the eternal Godhead here where Jesus, or or rather the Son, is begotten of the Father from all eternity. And the Father begats the Son from all eternity. And the Holy Spirit proceeds from them from all eternity. So even though we have one God, one essence, one indivisible God, we have three persons that each have their personal properties. Everybody understand that fully? <laughs> Absolutely. What could be a quiz? We can have one. <laughs> All right, so that's Westminster Larger Catechism 8 through 10. If you wanted to look it up, and study that on your own. <clears throat> Alright, like we've just read, there's three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and they are all fully God, 100% God. I picked up a devotion the other day at work at the Y, which is supposed to be a Christian organization. I think it was Charles Stanley devotion. He says God is composed of three persons. Well, God is not composed. If if He's composed, who composed Him? Uh, We have one simple God. He cannot be divided into parts. The Son is fully God. The Father is fully God. And the Spirit is fully God. All 100% God. Jesus is not 33% God. Uh, And... Of course, the spirit is not thirty-three percent God. They are all fully God. God is simple; He cannot be divided. Not only are they all hundred percent God, but they indwell each other. Since they all partake of the full essence of God, they all indwell each other, and that's why Jesus. One of the reasons Jesus says to, I think it was either Thomas or Philip, "You've seen me; you've seen the Father."
2: Okay. Yeah, I agree with you completely about <laughs> verse one here. But uh, <clears throat> every other day, I see these Jehovah Witnesses in the park where I walk, you know, and they set their thing. They they would say, I think, first one could not be used as uh, as a proof text for the Trinity. It wouldn't be convincing to them. It convinces me. But it wouldn't be to them. Uh, it says, I have put my spirit upon him. And they would say, well, the spirit's a thing. A power, yeah. And so... Well, the whole,
1: the whole Bible doesn't convince them. Well, no, it doesn't.
2: <laughs> it doesn't. But yeah, yeah, it's. I think it's tough to find proof text in the Old Testament. But well, presuppositions. Pre-sup- su- their presuppositions
1: just make... They're thinking a mess. Everything is a presupposition. One of their favorite verses, and how would we handle this? Jesus says, and I think it's John chapter 8, the Father is greater than I. That's subordination. How can they be all fully God and same in substance and evil in power and glory if Jesus makes that statement? Greater in what sense? It's different. The that is the economic Trinity for the purpose of salvation. Jesus voluntarily submitted himself to the Father, but in the ontological ongoing Trinity, they are equal in power and glory. Yeah, it's hard. I've I've read this verse probably a million times. Maybe not quite, (laughs) but a lot of times. And until I really start studying it, it didn't dawn on me. Mm-hmm. This teaches the Trinity. And there's other places in the Old Testament too that you probably read over and it didn't dawn on you that all three persons of the Godhead were mentioned. Okay, any other questions or observations on the Trinity? Or, <clears throat> we're still going to spend some more time on this verse. Okay. <clears throat> God says, I have put my spirit upon him. Okay. So, a lot of times we may not realize how important the spirit was to the ministry of Jesus. Let's uh, continue going down the aisle here. Look up Matthew 1, 18 through 20. Jim, if you don't mind. And three verses in Luke for you. Um, Laura. Laura. Luke 3.22, 41 and 4.18. Kim, you got enough endurance this can morning you, to read? Can you
0: say it again?
1: Yes. Oh, you want me to? Okay. Uh, Luke 3.22, 41 and 4.18. Okay. Okay. And um, Kim, John one thirty two and 33. And Dr. Bacchus, John twenty twenty Alright, so God says, I have put my spirit upon him. Um, how does that read in the New American Standard Bible? I have put my spirit upon him. Okay. I was thinking it says, I will put my spirit, but yeah, I have put my spirit upon him. Okay, um, Jen, Matthew 1, 18 and 20.
0: Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public (coughs) example, was minded to put her away secretly. But when he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is
1: of the Holy Spirit. Alright, we see that Jesus was conceived. Jesus, the servant, the true servant, was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Luke 3, 22. So in that verse, we see the Holy Spirit descending upon the Son at, at His baptism. All right, four 4.1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy
2: Spirit,
0: returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Okay,
1: and then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And then in 4.18.
0: The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be
2: set free.
1: Uh, the Holy Spirit sustain him in his ministry. And John 1, 32 and 33.
2: And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, on whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, this is He who
1: baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Alright, we see another incident there of Him, the Spirit, sustaining Jesus. And then John 20, And When He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Alright, so we see Jesus, who had the Holy Spirit upon Him, uh, breathing on the disciples, breathing that, that Spirit onto the apostles. And uh, so now we see at Pentecost, a little bit later, how the Holy Spirit descends upon the church. And so the Holy Spirit sustained Jesus. God put His Spirit upon Him. And now His Spirit is upon us, upon the church. Yeah, Bill?
0: Yeah. to those passages. It's interesting to see how, hear how... So the Spirit, according to Westminster Confession... Or the, yeah, proceeds from the Father and the Son, yet the Son is also the recipient of the, of the Spirit and the incarnate Son in in all of his verses. So it proceeds from him and yet he's also receiving at the same time.
1: So yeah. That's interesting, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It's complicated. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And yet he's one simple God. Pardon? And yet, he's one simple God. Yeah. It's complicated. Well. In listening to those verses, though you can see you know I brought up the Jehovah Witness thing. You can you can see the personhood of the Holy Spirit rather than in being a force or a thing.
1: Just because God is simple and immutable and impassable doesn't mean He's not active. He's very active. All right, good. Any other comments on that powerful verse there? Can I get the Scripture reference that Kim read? Kim was John 1, 32 and 33. Thank you. Alright, so we read in this, in these verses that uh, Jesus is God's servant in verse 1. He will receive and be sustained by the Spirit in verse 1. He is God's chosen servant and God delights in him, also in verse 1. He is gentle and patient and he doesn't bully anyone, verse 2. And then verse 3, he is very tender and faithful. And then in verse 4, he will not grow weary and quit, but he will establish justice on the earth. So that's God's servant. Pointing to Jesus Christ. These things the, in verses um, 2, 3, and 2 and 3 are a stark contrast to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, of course, Jesus says these verses all point to me. All right, two things to notice here. The kingdom of God will come during Jesus' ministry and it will be successful. And God's faithful servant is set up in sharp contrast to the unfaithful servant, Israel. Remember, Israel was a vine producing sour grapes in verse 5, in chapter 5. And then when we go over to the New Testament and get into John 15... We see that Israel was the false vine, so to speak, and Jesus Christ is the true vine. And then in Isaiah six, uh, excuse me, five, thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Here we have. God asserting His absolute sovereignty. That they have nothing to fear that what God speaks He can bring it to pass. He cares about you. He is going to take care of you. In verse 6, we see that Yahweh calls Jesus in righteousness and sustains Him. In addition, He gives Him as a covenant to the people. Jesus Christ in the covenant of redemption Uh, took on his people or he accepted his people from God said there are certain things I will do like pay for their sins be an atoning sacrifice and God also promised Jesus certain things like his spirit like we just saw so in the covenant of redemption Jesus is given to the people a covenant of redemption was made from eternity past God told Jesus uh, said you need to do these things Like pay for the sins of your people, and I will do this for you. I'll give you a people, I'll put my spirit upon you, you'll have a wonderful inheritance. All right, Jesus' saving work is shown in verses seven through nine. He will bring light and salvation. And God wants them to make be clear to them that salvation comes from Him. It's not by luck, it's not just something that happens. Salvation comes from him and not another. No one else, especially not idols, will receive glory from the salvation of sinners except for the triune God. All this is coming from him. And he says at the end of verse um, 9, verse 8 rather, we'll look at this a minute. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. We saw in chapter 40, carved idols, dumb carved idols. They are dumb. They can't speak. They can't do anything. They're nothing but dumb idols. And the people that make them are even dumber. So you look at the idolatrous nations, you have dumb and dumber. Dumb idols, dumber people that make them. I borrowed that from George Scipione. Dumb Here we go, Dumb and Dumber. And the dumbest yeah. are the ones. A, that a movie, movie. Right? Okay. Yeah, that's a movie. Bill, can we get the blanks
0: on the very first
1: line of page forty-nine? Isaiah speaks of God's absolute sovereignty in verse five. Is blank and blank. Um. Uh, he has been given as a covenant to us? No, before that. Uh, Somebody do that. My, my pagination is different. Isaiah speaks of God's. Verse five. Verse five. Okay. His blank and black. His power. His His creation and providence. Yes, God's creation and providence. Now, verse eight tells us that uh, God says, "I am." The older The older theologians would say, "I am Jehovah." That is my name. I give my glory to no other. Or I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. I want to close up this morning by giving you a little bit of what Francis Turretin uh, has to say about this. He was, I think, a 17th or maybe 18th century theologian. A lot of people say that it might be the best we ever had. But on this verse where he says I am Jehovah that is my name and my glory I will not give to another. And hence Israel sings in places like Exodus 15.3 Jehovah is his name. Um, the etymology and the signification of the word is such as agrees with God alone. From scripture, it is evident that it implies most especially three things which are to be, which are seen and to be connected. And he also, uh, references Isaiah 44, 24 through 26 here. Number one, the eternity and independence of God. Inasmuch as he is a necessary being and existed of himself independent of any other, self-existent. He is a self-existent almighty being. And also, too, it implies causality and efficiency because what is the first and most perfect in each genus is the cause of the rest. For God is by himself so that he is the cause of being to all others. And it implies immutability and constancy in promises because he really performs and does what he has promised by giving to his promises being not only, to his promise, being not only self-existent, but also essentially existent and essence-making. In this sense, he is Jehovah. So God is saying virtually in this, and we read about an exposition of that with Turretin. What are you all worried about? I mean, sure, you're in Babylon under a very powerful nation. But remember what I said in Isaiah 40 about these people, how unworthy they are. They're a drop in the bucket. And here I am, the self-existent, almighty, eternal God, And you are so down, you are so worried about your situation. That is pure unbelief by by them.
2: So God, God here again
1: assures them that He cares about them and that He is going to be good to them. He is going to bring them out of captivity. It may not be very soon, but He will do it. All right, that's all I have today. Anybody have any comments on any of this, any insights? <clears throat> all right, if not, then I um, will ask Mike, if you will, close thank us in prayer. Our Father, and thank you, thank you for, for this
2: day that you give us to... Uh...